Good morning again. So great to see all of you here today. Uh, we've been in a little series we're doing here in the middle of the fall called Give, the Surprising Grace of Giving. We're basing this on the simple idea that one of the most countercultural things that we could be doing as a church is practicing generosity. That in a culture of intense consumerism and materialism, this simple practice of radical sacrificial generosity of our time and our money and our resources and everything that we are um, can bear powerful, clear witness to Jesus. And so we've been looking at what does it mean to give our money? Uh, And today we're turning to ask, what does it mean to give our time? The grace of giving our time. And so we'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. So if you'll turn there, it's printed in your bulletin on page 12. Let me pray as we go to God's word. Father, we do thank you for the riches of grace that we have already received today in great bounty. Thank you for the, the grace of being here together, being with our spiritual family. Thank you for the grace of getting to sing from our hearts. Thank you for the grace of being reminded of the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you for the peace that we share with each other. Thank you for the word of God that we now turn to here. And we pray for help. I need help. We all need help from your Holy Spirit so that we might not just hear your word today, but so that we can respond to it with obedience and love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear God's word, friends. It's absolutely true. It's given to you in love. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Sisters and brothers, this is the word of the Lord. So I've had a very interesting week studying and learning about time. I've learned lots of things about how we use time, how we waste time. One of the things I've learned is that for the average American who lives about 79.2 years, we'll spend 29 years working 26 years sleeping, three years driving, six months sitting at stoplights, nine years watching TV, five years in social media, four years waiting in line, a year and a half doing your hair, and about a year looking for misplaced objects. (laughs) For me, I think it is much higher. But perhaps the most important thing that I've learned about our use of time is that Americans have a deeply conflicted relationship with time. On the one hand, Americans tend to believe that we are in control of time. Our tools and our apps and our multitasking techniques are more sophisticated than ever. Our schedules and our calendars are more tight than ever, and our patience is more thin than ever. Uh, The average attention span of an American is now eight seconds. Uh, The goldfish actually beats us out at nine seconds. (laughs) We actually think that time is mine to manage and mine to control. But on the other hand, despite all of our attempts to manage and control time, have you noticed we all feel out of control? 
Have you noticed this? We never have enough time. We constantly feel like we're behind. We are busier than ever, more distracted than ever, more overwhelmed than ever. There's now a a psychological diagnosis of hurried sickness. As a pastor, you know, I hear people come to me with a lot of different things, but I probably hear more than anything else, I am just so overwhelmed. I just can't keep up the pace. All these tools and advances that promised us greater control don't seem to be working. Not only do we feel out of control, but so many of us are more miserable and more anxious than ever before. So what's up? Well, here's the good news. The good news is that God wants to bring order into our madness. That's great news, friends. But it begins with some pretty severe diagnosis about who we are and how we use our time. Because the Bible teaches that even more than our money, our time is actually our greatest asset. Unlike money, it's not renewable. We don't get it back. Unlike money, it's equally distributed. So all of us have the same exact amount, whether you're rich or you're poor. Uh, And unlike money, you can't not spend it. You have to. The only choice you ever have is how. But like our money, God calls us to use it, to give it away, to steward it wisely for the purposes of his kingdom. But what in the world does that mean? What does it mean to give our time generously and to use our time for God? That's the question we're looking at today. And so I want to look with you at this text because Paul's saying a lot about time in this text. And what I think he's doing is he's teasing out two great principles of wisdom for what it comes to stewarding and spending our time. Two principles that seem to be in conflict with each other, but are actually quite harmonious. And here they are. The first is this, spend your time on what actually matters. And the second is waste your time enjoying grace. Two great principles of wisdom when it comes to using our time well. Spend your time on what actually matters. Waste your time enjoying grace. All right? Are you with me, friends? Are you out there? Okay. First, let's look at this. Spend your time on what actually matters. On this passage, Paul is urging us to wake up and realize that your time is a precious commodity. Therefore, use it to its utmost profitability. Look at verse 16. Look carefully then how you live or walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Commentators agree that Paul is really echoing ancient Jewish wisdom literature here. If you've ever read Ecclesiastes or the book of Proverbs or certain Psalms, he's echoing many of the themes that we read in the wisdom literature. So for example, he is, first of all, really encouraging us to remember our limitations and to embrace them. He uses this phrase, the days are evil. That's a great theme in the wisdom literature, speaking about how our days are very limited, very short, uh, and very brutal. In fact, Psalm 90 that you all just sang about uh, and that we used as a call to worship today says this, all of our days, listen to this, friend, such encouraging words, all of our days pass under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan, with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength, yet their whole span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass, you return to dust. What a lovely thought. Aren't you so glad you came today to hear that? You know, um, every once in a while, you get sort of a shock where you realize this about, you know, I remember sitting at a parenting seminar years ago. We had just had, you know, a couple of our kids, and the, the leader of the parenting seminar had a jar sitting on her desk, and she said, These marbles represent, it was a jar of marbles. She said, these marbles represent the number of days you have left with your children. And every day, 
take one of these marbles out and watch that jar get emptier and emptier and emptier. And, and I just started crying, <laughs> right? Because, because every once in a while, we get a glimpse of the shortness and the limitation of our lives, and we freak out a bit. But most of the time, we refuse to accept this. Most of the time, we are constantly trying to break out of time because none of us wants to live within the confines of a time-bound body. And technology actually tricks us into thinking we can. So I can stand in line uh, and do work. I can email. I I can wash dishes and learn a new language via podcast. I can have a conversation with a friend and text somebody else at the same time. I I can be in two different cities on the same day. I can sit on my computer and pay my bills and shop for a new camera and write a sermon all at the same time. Not saying that I do, but I could. (laughs) You know, in college, this says a lot about me, maybe more about um, the the culture that I was in at UVA, but in college, uh, I actually tried, I trained my body in what's called polyphasic sleep, where you can actually... Um, send your body into REM sleep much faster, and so you only need like three or four hours of sleep at night. This worked for me for about a month until I fell asleep in the shower and almost drowned. (laughs) The Bible says this is foolishness, this attempt to do everything and be everything, and frankly, to try to live without limits and to never say no and to go hard all the time. This is actually an attempt to be God. The Roman Catholic theologian uh, von Balthasar says, all sin is an attempt to break out of time. The only one not bound by time, the only one not bound by limitations is God, and you are not him. You are a limited, time-bound creature. You have a limited number of minutes in your life. In fact, you are about uh, 45 45 minutes closer to death than you were when this service started. Sorry to tell you. You have such a limited life, you can probably only do a couple of things really well. And you know what? That's okay. Because that's what it means to be human. It means to be a creature. And in fact, this is great news. Because the good life that God has for you is not achieved by breaking out of your limitations, but by learning to live wisely within them. The truly wise person, Scripture says, is one who recognizes the short and fleeting nature of life, who doesn't try to do everything, and who seeks to use the limited time you've been given for valuable things. You can wake up in the morning and instead of asking, how much can I get done today? Instead ask, who am I? Who is my God? And what am I called to do with this one wild and precious life? To quote the poet Mary Oliver. So that's the first thing of wisdom that we see Paul saying here is you've got to embrace your limitations, but then within those limitations, you need to be ruthlessly intentional about you, how you order your time. Did you see that? He says, make the best use of your time. The King James Version says, redeem the time. This is actually economic language. The best translation probably is buy up your time. Imagine that a bank credited your account each morning with $86,400. Every morning. And at midnight, that night, it all disappeared. No carryover into the next day. Right? What would you do with that money every day? Ah, you'd spend it, right? Yeah, that's a no-brainer. But... That's a kind of an image of what Paul is saying here, right? The bank of time credits into your account 86,400 seconds every single day. And the bank never carries over. There's no borrowing. There's no overdrafts. No leftovers at all. What are you going to do with what's in your bank? Paul says, buy it up. Redeem it. NIV says, make the most of every opportunity. Use every penny. What Paul's suggesting here is that you have far more agency over your time than you realize. 
He says, look carefully how you live. Pay really close attention to the limited life that God has given you and be incredibly self-aware and careful about how you use it because if you don't, you will end up living like a fool and you will waste your life. Perhaps one of the biggest signs of foolishness, I really want you guys who are joining the church today, you high school students, to hear me on this because don't be dumb like us adults, okay? One of the biggest signs of foolishness in our society is the plague of this word busy. Busy, everybody's busy. It's the new way to say how you're doing. How are you? I'm busy. That's not even a feeling. That's sad or happy. You're busy. You're just describing an activity. And let me give you a hint on this. When, when, people, when adults say this, I'm busy, what they're really saying is, I'm important. My life has value. I so, in fact, if, if somebody said, well, I don't know, I'm, I'm cool. I'm like hardly doing anything. You'd wonder what was wrong with them, Right? <laughs> Because you have so much to do and you are so essential to all these things going on in your life. But listen to this. Busyness also implies a loss of personal agency. Like, I can't help it. I'm out of control. I'm being swept along by all these demands. I have very little choice about what's happening in my life. I read an article on busyness this week that said this. She said, for most of us, there is a reasonable amount of choice in how we spend our time. But using the language of being busy lets us avoid responsibility for those choices. And what happens when you don't take responsibility for how you choose to use your time? I'll tell you what happens. You become a fool. Other people make those choices for you. Do you know that endless competitors are pouring millions of dollars every day competing for your time? It's called Netflix. It's called the NFL. It's called CNN and Fox and Instagram and all the rest. If you don't look carefully at how you live and use your time, other people will decide it for you. And let me tell you, friends, how you use your time could be the greatest sign of what you actually most value because your time is literally your life. The, the famous author, uh, Annie Dillard, once said, how we spend our days is, of course, how you spend your life. Think about that. Maybe that's depressing for some of you. <laughs> how you spend your days is, of course, how you spend your life. Whether you like it or not, how you spend your time every day is an indicator of what you're actually living for and what you most value. My friend Justin Early says that time is the currency of our purpose. Isn't that a great phrase? The currency of our purpose. You might not tell the truth about your schedule, but your schedule always tells the truth about you. And the truth is, so many of us spend so much time on things that we say that we don't actually value. And Paul's saying, don't let this happen to you. Live with high intentionality for, and this is really his last point here, use time for what actually matters. Look at verse 17. Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. If you are a Christian, it's not just about using your time for what's important to you. It's using your time for what's important to the Lord, what his will is. And what is the Lord's will? Well, just look at him. Look at Jesus. Look at his life. Study how he uses his time. You can actually do this. You can read the Gospels, and you can examine how Jesus manages his daily schedule. And what does he do? And as far as I can tell, Jesus tends to divide his time into at least these three buckets. First of all, he focuses on his relationship with his father. He withdraws to secluded places. He spends time meditating on Scripture. He spends lengthy time in prayer. He rested. He sleeps. He cares for his own body and soul. Second, he spends time with his friends. He spent a whole lot of time with these 12 guys that he chose and the, about the 40 men and women that he s spends his life with. 
He prioritizes time with them, those relationships. And then finally, he prioritizes the world in need. Jesus, no matter how busy he is, he always stops and welcomes interruption if it meant taking time for someone like the bleeding woman or the grieving father or tormented child, someone who needed love or healing or hope. So this is basically how the Lord spent his life, spent his time loving God, loving his friends, loving the world in need. Was Jesus busy? Yes. Did Jesus have a lot to do? Yes. His main job was to save the world. Pretty sure none of you have a job that important. (laughs) Yet, he was never hurried. He knew his priorities, and he made time for what mattered. And so if you follow Jesus, friends, this is your pattern. This is the Lord's will. Are you ordering your life around such things? Your time is the currency of your purpose. If you were to do an audit of your time, and I would encourage you to try that, if you were to do an audit of your time, what would your audit reveal about what you most value in your life? Would your time audit reveal that you prioritize life with God, life with others, the church of Jesus, deep friendship, neighbors who don't know the good news, work that's done meaningfully for the renewal of the city and for the sake of God? Would that be what your time audit revealed, or would it reveal that what you most prioritize is seclusion away from people and some comfortable escape? Enjoying the freedom of retirement at the cost of relationships. Enjoying uh, whatever new Netflix drama uh, has just been released or binging on your favorite political news channel. Would it show that you prioritize your own personal career advancement, your constant networking for your own professional gain? What does your time reveal about what you value? That's the question here. And so Paul says, know what the Lord's will is. Don't waste your life. Give it meaningfully. It's not yours. It belongs to God. So I would encourage you, church family, to do this to do this, and take this seriously. Do a time audit. Try it. So what I did for a couple of weeks is every day, at the end of the day, I would just write down how I spent my time each day. And then after a week or two, I actually looked at it and asked myself some hard questions. And when you do, you'll, you might be surprised. You might realize that, you know, gosh, I'm spending more time cultivating my yard than I am cultivating my soul. I'm spending more time watching cat videos, you know, than watching for my neighbors to come out of their home so I can greet them, right? You, you, you begin to realize things about yourself. And then once you do, you can rethink your habits. All of our lives are a mass of habits. That's what they are. And, and you can claim a new order of habits, what the ancients called a rule of life. You actually have a rule of life. You have a set of disciplines. It might be, you know, watching Grey's Anatomy on Thursday going to the gym Monday, Wednesday, Friday, playing playgroup on Tuesday, right? We all have a set of habits that we live by. And the question is, are these set of habits making you more like Jesus or less? And so you can be disciplined and ask yourself, what would it mean for me to intentionally form my life to create a new shape so that I'm actually intentionally living for what matters? And we're actually going to try to do this together as a church family during Advent. We're going to try to practice a common role together a new set of practices in the way that we use our time. So here's the point, friends. How you live matters. We're all working and moving and journeying towards the kingdom, and one day you will look Jesus straight in the face and give an answer for the way that you've lived. Don't wait till then to think about this. Jonathan Edwards wrote on the eve of his 20th birthday, resolved never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. He was just a little bit older than you guys when he wrote that. You've been given this one precious, time-bound, beautiful life. 
How will you spend it? So that's the first thing. Spend your time on what actually matters. Now, are you feeling a bit heavy here? Are some of you feeling a little guilty? (laughs) Don't! There's good news because there's a second point, and it's this. Paul also says, waste your time enjoying grace. There's a danger to all this exhortation to use your time wisely and well. It can easily become a new form of legalism, right? Don't waste a minute. Manage your time perfectly. Live well or else, right? But don't worry. For that reason, I am so grateful for how this passage ends. It's very interesting that after this strong exhortation to use your time well and not waste your life and exhaust the full potential from every minute, Paul ends this passage talking about worship. Do you see that? He says, be filled with the Spirit. Sing psalms and hymns. Make spiritual songs. Melody in your heart. Always give thanks to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus. And you might say, well, that doesn't sound very productive. Exactly. Paul is suggesting that one of the very best ways we can use our time is to waste it. To waste it in praise, in worship, enjoying grace, giving thanks for all that God has done and given to us. Marva Dawn calls worship a royal waste of time. A royal waste of time. Did you realize what we're doing right now is a royal waste of time? Think of all the things that you could be doing right now on your productivity list. All the things that you could be checking off your task list right now. Yet we are here not to be productive. We are here not to accomplish anything. We're here simply to receive God's grace again and to remember it and to respond with the whole of our lives. That's why we're here. And so one of the things that we do as believers is we stop, we waste time in worship, and we enjoy grace together week by week, day by day. And a couple of things happen when you do this. The first is that you remember it's not about you or me or any of us. You are not the center of the story. You are not the hero of the plot. And you and your time and your productivity and your leadership is not the thing that this world ultimately needs. Praise be to God. My, uh, my friends, Matt and Catherine, were casted as extras in Steven Spielberg's movie Lincoln when it was filmed here a few years ago. And they spent weeks on this set. I mean, every day. They were spending 10 hours a day on this set and dressed in full costume. We would see them coming and going, you know, early in the morning, late at night. And so finally... They were finished, and it came time for the premiere. And a bunch of us, like 50 of us, all went to the movie theater to watch Matt and Catherine star, you know, in this new movie, Lincoln. And we watched, and the first hour went by. No Matt and Catherine. And we watched the whole second hour. Second hour went by. No Matt and Catherine. Finally, at the very end, there's this big scene, you know, at the end where this big crowd. And we were all looking, and Matt said, there, there I am. One minute, just gone. Ten seconds. And we all just kind of looked at each other and we said, oh, this was for that? You know, it was, we just, it was like we realized suddenly, oh, this movie is not about them. <laughs> and y'all, sometimes like in the frantic pace of our lives, forget the movie's not about you. And that brings like tremendous humility. But it also brings, oh my goodness, that brings great freedom, right? Like, You're not the hero. You're not the savior. The world's not going to fall apart if you don't perfectly manage your time and hit the ball to the park every time. Your life is only going to make sense when it's centered and ordered around the story of the true hero. And this is why we use, like, a liturgical calendar here, why we change colors and we use Advent, and that we tell our time differently as Christians. We don't order our lives around 
the normal calendar and candy sales and retail sales and school and office vacations. That's what, we order our time around a person, Jesus, who was born and lived and died for us. We order our lives differently because we're not the hero he is. But the second thing that happens when you stop regularly every day and once a week, we come to worship to focus on grace and enjoy it, is that you're, you experience spiritual liberation. Here's the go- Friends, there's a lot of ways to describe the gospel, and here's one of them. The one outside of time, listen carefully. If you're not a Christian, or you're not sure you are, here's the gospel, friends. The one outside of time entered into time to save you from the ravages of time. That's the gospel. The one outside, beyond, transcendent, over time, entered into time to save you from the ravages of time, which means that you're saved not from you, what you do with your time, but what from Jesus did in time for you. You're not saved by your own work, but the work of another. That's the gospel. To be a Christian is someone who trusts in the work of another, someone who trusts in the finished work of Jesus for you. And friends, when you believe that, when you trust in that, do you see the liberation that brings? Do you see the freedom that brings that, that you can finally be free from striving and working and trying to live a good life and get God's approval, get other people's approval, that when you become a Christian, when you put your faith in Jesus, as I pray some of you would even do today, what happens is God unites you to Jesus Christ, you are covered with his beautiful life, and that everything that is absolutely necessary for your life is already done. You know, there might be like 10 things simmering around in your to-do list right now, and you can't wait for this guy to shut up so you can go and do them. But listen, friends, if you know Jesus, then you could die tonight, and everything that is absolutely necessary for your life is already finished. The Father delights in you. He says, well done. He covers you with the righteousness and the beauty of Jesus, and in him you are whole. And friends, do you see what it means? Don't you want to waste time enjoying that? Don't you want to waste time in worship, waste time in the presence of the Father who loves you? Waste time and lavishly spend it on other people? Waste time with your family, enjoying Jesus and the way he's entered into time to save us? Waste time in Sabbath, friends. This is what the Sabbath is about, to take a day off. I challenge you to do this. Take a day off. Be completely unproductive. Lie on your back on the floor. I don't really care. Take a walk. You know, go bowling. Be totally unproductive. Just enjoy the fact that you are loved, not because you're efficient, not because of your accomplishments, not because of your productivity, because you are you and you are the one God loves. One of the great secrets of a wise life is giving a big chunk of your time to wasting it. Wasting it, enjoying grace, resting in the finished work of Jesus, remembering who you really are, not the sum total of your accomplishments, but the beloved child of God. Okay, so we see these two great principles of wisdom when it comes to our time. They seem, they seem in conflict, but they're paradoxically harmonious. Spend your time first on what actually matters. Don't waste your life. Second, though, waste your time enjoying grace. And so what we see in this beautiful way is that the gospel saves us both from legalism and license. Do you see that? On the one hand, I'm saved from legalism because I'm not saved by how I use my time. I'm not saved by how well of a life I live. I'm not saved by working really hard and doing a good job and performing well. I'm saved by Jesus and Jesus alone, and I am free, and I can relax, take it easy, enjoy grace. But on the other hand, I'm also saved for a purpose. I'm not saved so I can live however I want to live. I am saved by the blood of another, and my life is no longer my own. 
And so I'm called not to waste my life, to use it well, to live intentionally for what actually matters, to give my time to what Jesus loves, his church, his people, his world. Because of grace, there's nothing left for you to do because you're fully saved in him. But because of grace, there is now so much you're called to do and can do meaningfully to contribute to the kingdom of God. I love what Paul says in Galatians 5. He says, the only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. Now in Christ, knowing you are in him, you can do the smallest thing. Pick up a piece of trash off the street, wipe yogurt off your kid's face, close a deal in your business. Done in Christ for the glory of God and for the love of neighbor, that is a beautiful work that Jesus will incorporate into his forever kingdom. That is beautiful, friends. As a Christian, you can have a life of infinite meaning as you use your time for him and him alone. So what do you need today? I know we're all really different. We all are carrying different things into this place. Reinhold Niebuhr once said, it's the job of the preacher to disturb the comfortable and to comfort the disturbed. So I'm looking around to see who's disturbed and who's comfortable. (laughs) And for those of you that are comfortable, I do think that there are some of you that are too comfortable because you're wasting your life. I'm not like thinking of someone, I promise. (laughs) But I've done this myself. Yeah, Jesus saved me. I can, you know, live however I want to live. No, friends, you've been bought at a price. Live your life for him and him alone. Don't waste your life. Do you realize that now, knowing Jesus, you can actually live what is the true meaning of life? To love God, love your neighbor, and love the world. You can do this for the sake of Jesus, and all of your work will be redeemed and incorporated into the kingdom of Jesus. Live for what matters, friends. You are not the Lord of your life. Jesus is alone. But to others of you, I think there's actually a lot more of you knowing the kind of community that we have here that are disturbed. And to those, because I know there's a lot of you that are totally overwhelmed, frankly, and out of control. I know that there's a lot of you who are not taking care of your body. You're not cultivating your relationship with God. You're not praying. You're not reading the scriptures. You don't have any real friends. You're addicted to your phones. You've lost your imagination. You don't even know your neighbor's names. You're working so hard to prove yourself. You're striving to justify your existence, working so hard for your job at your church or for others that your bodies and your marriages are in shambles. Friends, God wants to make your life sane again. So would you stop? Would you first embrace your limitations? See that you're, 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 you're a limited human being. You don't have to do everything. Would you order your life around what actually matters? Would you prioritize, remembering that God is far less interested in how much you get done than in the kind of person that you're becoming. Are you prioritizing that? And finally, remember that God loves you. He loves his church. Your life is complete in him. He loves the world. Jesus alone is the hero. Friends, Jesus Christ is bringing about the new creation. That is what we're waiting for. That is what we're longing for. That is what we're living for. And in the end, he wins. Love wins. The kingdom of God wins. So would you believe that? Would you rest in that? Would you give the work of your hands to that and that alone? And would you enjoy grace? Let's pray. Just invite you maybe to speak to God right now and just say, maybe just say to him in one word what you want from him right now. You could say rest, 
forgiveness, space, freedom, comfort, rescue, peace. In the frantic storms of your life, what is it that you are wanting from your Lord right now? Just speak to him. He invites you to be honest with him. Thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you and your triune love have entered into time, though you are outside of it. Uh, That Jesus, you, though you are the eternal Son of the Father, you allowed yourself to be ravaged by the limitations of time in a time-bound body. You allowed yourself to be crucified and tortured and buried, and you allowed yourself to take on the punishment of all the sin of humanity, also that you can redeem us from the destruction of time so that we can have eternal life forever in your new creation, so that we can be set free from the meaninglessness of human existence, so that we can find freedom and peace within the rush and the hurried nature of modern life that devastates so many of us. Oh, Father, we need your peace. Come into our frantic hearts. Remind us that we are loved. Open our eyes to what matters so that we can actually live for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.